Would you find John chapter 9? John chapter 9, we're in the midst of this series simply called, You've Got Questions, He's the Answer. We believe certainly in all the things that we are facing in our world today. We faced not only today, but the last year or two that a lot of people perhaps have questions. We know that Christ is the answer for those questions. We started last month, we talked about heaven and hell. We talked about absolute truth, that is, it is found in God's Word. Uh, we talked about marriage and family, and today we are in John 9, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11, but I appreciate if you keep your Bibles open, we may refer to more that's in this particular chapter. John chapter 9, verse 1, would you stand and honor the reading of God's Word today? As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. And you may be seated. Appreciate you coming today because I know that many of you suffered this past week in ways that were utterly undeniable and extremely egregious. So I'm glad that you're here today because I realize for many of you when Facebook and Instagram went down for those six hours that many of you were devastated. I wasn't sure that you were going to make it. But we're here to help you through because we know that those are six hours that you'll never get back, that you were not able to be able to post what you had for lunch that day, or you're not able to be able to let us know what you wore to school or maybe wore to work, or to be able to let us know that, uh, uh, be able to take that perfect picture of yourself or your family or friends to make it seem that you were, you know, had a perfect life and everything was going really well for you. And, uh, or maybe just the opposite, for those six grueling hours, you were not able to uh, let us know of the latest misfortune in your life or the political climate or something that you had against your ball team, ball player, or coach, that something that you disagreed with. Well, here we are, your support group, just in case, God forbid, Facebook or Instagram ever goes down again. We're helping you to, through this trying time. Hope that by now you have realized the sarcasm in my voice. I would not have known Facebook had gone down had somebody not mentioned it. Perhaps that may be the case for you as well. But we are here to answer the questions that people are asking, even if they're not asking out loud. Let's be sure to talk about what we need to talk about and point to the one who has the answer. He is the answer to every problem, difficulty, or trial. Why suffering? Well, it could be said in a number of different ways. It could be why do good people suffer? Why uh, do... Uh, good people suffer and go through difficult things. We might could understand perhaps not as many questions if bad people suffer, but we may have questions. And Even since the Old Testament prophets and the Psalms, 
The question was often asked of God, why does it seem the wicked prosper and the godly have more trials? And that may not be just a perception, it may be a reality in the world in which we live. But today your question may have more to do with a worldwide pandemic sort of thing, or in a world with kids dying of hunger, devastating fires and hurricanes, seemingly uh, uh, multitudes of people at the borders who seem to be in hopeless situations, and school shootings and many other tragedies we see on the news or social media every day. You might be wondering, what is God up to? Why are these things happening? Why does God allow such? Or maybe you come here today and you're facing your own personal struggles and trials and maybe others know what you are facing. Maybe nobody knows. Maybe you're wondering if God knows or even if He cares. You're a person of faith, but your faith is being tested. Why and for what reason? Well, we're here today not to be discouraged and not to be depressed as we name uh, all or even some of the tragedies that are happening around the world, but to be reminded and encouraged and maybe even to find out something new about God that will help. This I know, followers of Jesus face difficulties and trials differently than those who do not know the Savior by knowing that it is the Lord who is always at work in this life for our good and that we have an eternal hope and an eternal home waiting when this life is over. Is Jesus making a difference? Can people tell others see the difference in your life because of Jesus? Well, I invite you this morning to come along with me as we look into God's Word and see how the differences can become even more distinct. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe it is these trials that we're facing in this world or the trials that you're facing personally have caused you to be able to see that you truly may not be placing your hope or your faith in the one who is the true and living God. Because we're going to find some good information today to help us all to trust in Christ alone. I believe before this hour is complete, if we pay attention, we will come away without excuse that all reasons will run dry not to trust in Christ. In fact, it might be precisely because of the trials that we're facing today that you'll need to choose to put your trust in Jesus for the very first time or choose to trust Him even more. The entire 41 verses in chapter 9 are dedicated to the healing of one blind man and the reaction of his family and the neighbors and the religious leaders and the change in the blind man himself it is given much print. I say that because sometimes you run across just maybe one verse where it says Jesus healed this person or this miracle took place. Sometimes in one or two verses it says that Jesus will come into a town and he healed everybody in the town that needed to be healing. We're not given much detail. Well, if you've ever wondered, well, I wonder what happened to that person that was healed or what was the reaction of those who knew him? Well, you've come to the right place. This is the story. Jesus and His disciples uh, were in Jerusalem. They were walking away from the temple. I want you to notice we read chapter 9 and verse 1. Look at the verse just above that. It would be John chapter 8 and verse 59. last verse in that chapter says, So they picked up stones to throw at Him, meaning Jesus, but Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple. Did you remember that they tried to stone Jesus? Well, more than just once. Well, why would they do this? In this particular time, it's because Jesus said before Abraham was born, I, I am. Jesus, the great I am, was before and greater than Abraham, their father of the Jewish faith. Friends, either you believe that Jesus is the great I am, 
or you do not. He is the great I am of the eternal God, or He is not. Many did not believe in that day. And in this very next scene, they come across a blind man. Now notice who saw the blind man first in verse 1. Feel free to take a look. Who sees the blind man? Well, of course, it's Jesus. Now, disciples may have seen Him anyway. They may have seen Him after that, or it may be that Jesus was making His way in order to minister to the blind man. And the disciples maybe saw this opportunity to ask that question, perhaps, that they've not asked before, or maybe that others had asked, but nobody had really been able to answer in such a case as this. And is the, blind, is the man born blind, was it due to his parents' fault or his own fault? They thought they knew part of the answer because they thought, well, surely it's because of somebody sinned that this man was born blind, or so they've been taught. So the question is, who sinned, this man or his parents? You know, sometimes you can tell about people's beliefs or their misunderstandings and the kind of questions in which they ask. But it's a very serious question. Don't you think the blind man's parents probably had asked the same question? Did we do something wrong to cause this man, our son, to be born blind? Was it some sin in our life? And maybe even the man himself may have asked God, Was I born blind? And was I uh, going to uh, be a beggar all my life because of some sin that God knew I was going to commit? You may have asked the same kinds of questions about yourself or your children. What sin did I commit to bring on a suffering in my life or the life of someone that I care about? Our approach to suffering and these kinds of questions may be the difference between legalism and grace. And so let's, let's define legalism and grace and let's see if that helps us any. Legalism is the attempt to earn God's favor through our own righteous works. Now, most of us have to get over some form of legalism in order for us to be able to be a growing follower of Jesus. Even the disciples of Jesus assumed that if he or his parents had been good people, well, God would have been forced to have blessed them with good fortune. And the opposite is true in legalism. If you do bad, then you can expect that you're going to have a life of struggle, rainy days without sunshine, more difficulties on the horizon, and still you start to be good again. And if this is the paradigm or this is the philosophy of you're living a godly life, I hope that the Lord blows your mind today. I don't care what any slick-haired, smiling preacher on the YouTube or the TV tells you. Legalism always leads to a lifeless living and eternity without Christ if you place your trust in your goodness and not in Jesus alone. For we serve a God of grace who gives us a much better incentive, a more precious reason in order that we might want to do that which pleases Him. Grace is defined. Grace is God's undeserved favor given to you by Jesus. Sometimes the letters of grace, you've heard these before, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's recognizing that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And there's nothing that we could have done to deserve God's love and salvation. We can never earn or be good enough to have a relationship with the Holy God. Thus, Jesus did what was necessary when He came and left the throne room of heaven to live amongst us as a man and at the same time as God and the only innocent one to die on the cross for our sins. And He rose again the third day, defeating our enemies of sin, Satan, and death. And He's done everything necessary. Salvation is truly a free gift. You're saved by grace and there is no other way. You are also to live by grace. So to 
be saved by grace, but to live by legalism is to rob yourself of joy and fulfillment and the purpose for which God has called you to Himself. With the definitions of legalism and grace in mind, let's talk about why suffering. And This is just in response to the disciples' misunderstanding of the suffering of the blind man Jesus is about to heal. Does suffering and sin have anything to do with one another? Well, absolutely they do. And, but you want to understand not just one of these reasons, but you want to understand all of these, I believe, biblical reasons, that your suffering could be a direct result of your own sin. Suffering certainly can be a direct result of your own sin. You remember the Old Testament story of Joshua when they come into the Promised Land? They come and they march around Jericho. The walls come tumbling down. They come in and they were not to take anything then Jericho, but they were to dedicate it all to the Lord. But there was one man by the name of Achan. Saw the silver, saw the gold, saw the other things, coveted those. He came and he put them in his tent. By the time it was discovered that Achan, when it was discovered that it was Achan, he and his whole family were stoned to death. Achan's suffering was a direct result of his sin. Well, consider for just a moment. Our bodies are called in the New Testament a temple of the Holy Spirit. Something we're to take care of, but they are abused by drugs or alcohol or tobacco or sexual promiscuity or gluttony, any of these things. Well, it could be that uh, we can repent of these things and the Lord can forgive us of these, but there are consequences, can still be consequences because of these things that happen to our bodies as a direct result of our own sin. There's always room for grace. The Lord helps us to cope with those things. This verse in Numbers, Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, it's a time when Moses was talking to some of the Israelites about coming to do battle, and they're to come and do battle. And he says, but if you will not do so, if you'll not fight with the Israelites, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sins will find you out. Well, thank goodness for the grace of God that took our punishment. But sometimes we're left also with the consequences. Your suffering could be a direct result of someone else's sins. Again, the story of Achan in the Old Testament. Achan's family suffered because of his sin, it seems. Now, it could be that his family were complicit and they knew about this and they were part of it. But it wasn't just his family that suffered. In fact, the very next battle, the Battle of Ai, they lost the battle the first time because of Achan's sin. When a drunk driver hits another car, another driver, <clears throat> or a pedestrian, and that person suffers or dies, something we hear about way too often, it's a direct result of someone else's sins. Family conflict could be a direct result of your sin. It could be a direct result of someone else's sins. Often in the family, Boy, it's enough sinning to go around for everybody. But in either case, we're going to talk about the response of family members in conflict who are followers of Jesus as we go on. But your suffering could be a direct result of God's testing or discipline. Could be a result of God's testing or discipline. You remember Job, of course. Some of you, I think, are studying or have studied here recently Job in your Sunday school classes. The wealthy, prominent Job was a godly man. Best example of a God worshiper at that time, perhaps. And God gave permission for Satan to test him. And he lost everything. Lost all of his family, lost all of his health. Everything but his wife who said to her husband, curse God and die. Job, though not perfect, he remained faithful. God does not tempt anyone, but he does test our faith. And there's a big difference. Testing is for our good. 
The Bible tells us that He disciplines those whom He loves. Arguably, Jonah was disciplined when he was swallowed by a great fish when he ran from God's call to go to Nineveh. But for those who are in Christ, He will never punish. God is not punishing you. Now, I realize for a lot of good church-going people that, boy, this is counterintuitive to what you think or what you believe or even what you've been taught. But if Jesus came and He died on the cross for our sins, He didn't die on the cross for our sins and take part of our punishment. His was not a partial payment, but His was the entire payment that needed to be paid for all of our judgment and all of our punishment. He either did it all or He took none. What's it going to be? What will you believe? Satan would still have you living as a slave to sin and guilt. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, though, says, There is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Satan pronounces you guilty. Jesus sets you free. Your suffering also could be a direct result of living in a fallen world. Not my fault, not your fault, not anybody's fault. Much suffering cannot be explained. We simply, and sometimes even very sadly, live in a fallen world. What did we say earlier? There is, though, a correlation between sin and suffering. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we know that sin entered the world. Without sin, there would be no suffering. We're born into sin. We're all sinners. We're living and born, though, in a broken world. Could God have made a world where there was no sin and there were no wrong choices? Well... God being God, I could have done anything that He wanted to do. And there's more to this than we can understand or could ever wrap our head around. But had God made us to where we could not choose to do bad, then we would not be able to choose good. We would not be, have the opportunity to be able to choose God. So the consequences of living in a fallen world also gives the opportunity to know and have a relationship with the divine. We live in a fallen world where sometimes babies are born blind, as we read here in John chapter 9. Tragedies occur due to natural disasters. Worldwide pandemic devastate and things happen that we cannot begin to explain or make sense. And while certainly nothing happens unless it sifts to the hand of God, we cannot, we will not, we do not blame God. He is not the cause. Instead, He is the hope. And He is the only hope in a world that is broken. But your suffering also, your suffering could be a direct result of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus warned us, they hated me, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. Why would they hate me and why not hate you? It's, it's a verse that we used a couple of weeks ago in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 that said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Don't believe the lie that says, following Jesus and you'll have less problems. No, you might have more problems if you follow Jesus, but the cause is much greater. So your suffering may be a direct cause of you being a follower of Christ. But the Apostle Paul said, count it all joy, my brethren. Count it all joy when you're persecuted or suffer." For the gospel of Christ. Well, suffering and joy sure don't seem to go hand in hand, nor do we dismiss real pain and sorrow and difficulty with the notion that, oh, well, praise God anyway. But when you're suffering, and 
because you're serving Jesus or while serving Jesus, all oh, what confidence you can have that you are bringing God good pleasure and you're giving glory to His almighty name. So here's the first question. If you're going through trials and difficulties, how can you know if it's due to your sin or someone else's sin or because you live in a fallen world or because you're a friend of Jesus or maybe He's testing you or disciplining you? Well, your suffering may be due to one or even more of these particular things. It may be hard to tell which of these biblical reasons, but but I, I tell you this, when you go through tough times, it's always good to do a heart check. Be sure that you are in a right and good relationship and fellowship with the Lord Jesus and confessing your sins and you're in the center of God's will. I tell you what, this, make this kind of a rule of thumb. Every time you're going through something that's really difficult, really tough, be sure that you spend some time in prayer and ask the Lord to forgive you of any unconfessed sin and ask the Lord to do any course corrections in your life. I tell you what, Maybe not just when you're going through the really tough times, but maybe those moderate times of difficulty. Then maybe it'd be good to be sure to spend some time in prayer, confess your sins, be sure that you're in the center of... I tell you what, just to be on the safe side, maybe even those slightly difficult times, maybe that would be a good time to be able to be sure that you spend some time in prayer, confess your sins, being sure, and ask the Lord that you're in the center of God's will. Well, maybe, just maybe... Because we know that Jesus is the one who sacrificed for us, the one who truly suffered, that knows our every pain, everything that we've ever gone through and has experienced much more, the one who is our creator, savior, and sustainer, promise of life and eternity. Maybe we need to even spend every day confessing our sins, asking for that course correction to be in the very center of what and where God wants you to be and allow God to be your constant companion and to be in continual conversation, then I don't think you'll have to worry so much about which of these five categories we're going to be in. You can just know regardless of what you're going through, God's got your back. He's got you covered. Here's the second question. I think it may be even more important. What's our proper attitude towards suffering? Whether it be your suffering or someone else's suffering and things you see around the world, what's going to be the Christ-like attitude that we should have. I think the rest of the story in John 9 is going to help us with this. We know that as Jesus came, He's the one who saw the man who had been born blind begging there on the side of the streets. The disciples asked the question, "Who, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, being more concerned perhaps about rhetoric than about really ministering to the man, at least at that particular sign? But Jesus said, neither but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Not meaning that God caused the man to be born blind, but he's using this particular event and even the healing of this man in order to bring him glory. There's a hint of some application for us there that regardless of what we are going through, God is going to continue to be at work and he's going to bring glory with healing or without. Then Jesus spit on the ground and he created mud and used that holy saliva to be able to anoint the man's eyes and put the mud on his eyes, told him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. John tells us here the word Siloam means sent. I think John told us that because he wanted to remind us that the reason Jesus came to be sent is that He is to be the light of the world. Jesus healed other blind people and healed other people in different ways. Why this particular way for this particular man? I think it was probably so that people wouldn't see, hey, here's the method that works because it's not about the method, but it's about the man. It's about the one who is God. It's about who Jesus is. The emphasis is on the Lord. The Bible says the man went and washed and came back. 
And he began to see. It just seems like there ought to be larger letters there when it says he began to see. Never in his whole life had he seen the sunshine or a flower or even a face. And now suddenly the Lord opens his eyes. And then we read the response of the neighbors and the Pharisees as well as his own parents that took place. First, some of the neighbors are saying, Hey, isn't that the blind beggar that uh, used to be on the streets here? And others said, No, that's not him. It just looks like him. And it kind of paints a picture that they're arguing back and forth whether this is the man. And there he is. He's standing right there as if he's not present. And the Bible says there, he kept telling them over and over again, It's me. It's really me. And now, not only is it me, but I see you. And then they... Uh, so they asked him, well, how is it that you can see? Verse 11, we read it a moment ago, but take a look again. Verse 11, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. It's me. I can see you. They took him to the Pharisees because they're still kind of bewildered about what took place. The Pharisees supposed to maybe be the experts in this kind of thing. Guess what day of the week Jesus healed the man? You know, even if you haven't, you probably already figured out, He healed him on the Sabbath, so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're going to be more concerned about the fact that He was healed on the Sabbath, which broke, not God's law, but broke the man-made law of the Jews. And so, rather than rejoicing with the man, they're going to be more concerned that He was healed on the Sabbath. In fact, they give the former blind beggar a hard time. They Begin asking, how have you received your sight? He tells the story again. He said, oh, he, he put mud on my eyes. I washed it. Now I see. So the Pharisees begin to argue with one another. The man who healed him must be a sinner if he did this on the Sabbath. Another said, well, the sinner couldn't do this miracle. And they asked the man, who do you think the man is? Remember, this is before he becomes a follower of Jesus. And the man says, he must be a prophet. Well, after the interrogation, they could only come to the conclusion that the man that this wasn't really the man or he really wasn't born blind. So they bring his parents in so that they might be under investigation, under interrogation. They ask the parents, they said, is he really your son and was he really born blind? And the parents say, yes, he is our son and he was born blind. How he can see, we do not know. John tells us in the gospel here, he says, the reason the parents answered that way is because anybody who claimed that Jesus is the Christ would be excommunicated and thrown out of the synagogue or thrown out of the temple. So they answered this way. And then they said, you know, he is of age. Go and ask him. So they bring the now seeing blind man in again for the second interrogation. They said, tell us again what happened. But he refused to tell him. He said, huh, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? There must be something about being blind your whole life and suddenly being able to see that makes you a little bit bold. Because he said, do you want to be his disciples too? And Boy, they ruffled their feathers and said, we're not his disciples. We're Moses' disciples. We're a disciple of Moses, not this man. So they asked the former blind man, don't you think this man is a sinner talking about Jesus? Remember, he's not a follower of Jesus yet. But listen to his response in verse 25. He said, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Oh, I feel a song coming on. It won't come from me. But the former blind beggar declared the man who healed him must be from God for who has ever done such a miracle. Read what they did in verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. They're thinking the same thing of the disciples because he was born blind. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. And they don't mean just cast him out of the room. 
They threw him out of the synagogue, threw him out of the temple. They excommunicated him. Boy, talk about a wave of emotion. Woke up that day as a blind beggar. Jesus came to him. He was able to see neighbors, religious people, even his parents really didn't seem to have his back. And now he's being excommunicated from the church. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, it's not the end of his horribly terrific, wonderful, sad, and great day. Look at verses 35 through 38. Are you still with me today? Are you hanging on? Verse 35 says this, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of God? Notice, Jesus found him. We used to have a thing in Southern Baptist. We put it on our bumper stickers back when I was a kid or young adult anyway. And it said, I found him. And many of we're glad we found Jesus. I think that was true. But the truth be known, Jesus found you. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, if you followed him. So he came and he found, found Jesus. Verse 36 says, he answered. Do you believe in the Son of God? Jesus asked. He answered. And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Greatest miracle in the story. Now you know. It's not the man who can see physically, but it's all those who can see spiritually. It is a changed life. Jesus came that all may see, and that all may believe in him. So let, let's, now that we've talked about this, let's kind of, you've got some notes there, just kind of, wrap this around maybe four statements or questions here and, and, uh, and see if this helps us to understand. How do followers of Jesus respond to suffering? Trust God to be all-powerful and all-loving all the time. It's the old argument of those who refuse to believe and see all the suffering in the world and say, if there is a God, either He is not all-powerful and cannot stuff, stop suffering in the world, or He's not all-loving and refuses to do so. I'm telling you today, even from what we've read today, trust God and His purposes no matter what. Jesus proved His love over and over again. In John 9, He saw the blind man and He healed him, and then He found him and invited him into the kingdom. Jesus sees you. He sees your suffering. He sees all the suffering that is happening in the world. Jesus loves and cares for you. You worry about things that are happening around the world perhaps and you think how could this be happening wish you could do something well know this the one who is all powerful and all loving cares more than you do also nowhere to go for wisdom and understanding nowhere to go for wisdom and understanding okay so you're a person of faith but still you have questions and sometimes even doubts don't do nothing go to God Go to God's Word. Go to God's people, His church. James chapter 1 and verse 5, you know this verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. The neighbors and the Pharisees and even His parents wanted some clarification. But nobody went to the source. Jesus holds all the answers. Don't feel guilty if you've got questions. Don't feel guilty if you find yourself worrying or think that, you know, I must not have faith or I wouldn't be thinking or feeling some of these things that I'm thinking. Just know that you can go to the source. Ask the right questions. Who and what, not just why or how. So don't ask just why is this happening to me or how could this, these things be happening, but instead, who will you place your trust? 
with anticipation, ask the question, what is God going to do? Or maybe even ask the where questions, where is He working? From the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, we paraphrase the words, what the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good. And notice the former blind beggar asked the right question. We read it a moment ago. Who is He, sir? Who is He, sir, that I may believe in Him? And then... Worshiping and following Jesus is worth any cost. If we're going to have the proper attitude as believers, we're citizens of another kingdom passing through this world with purpose and determination. Our time here will not always be easy. We may have some horribly terrific, wonderful, sad, and great days. But Jesus paid the price for our salvation. And whatever difficulty we face on this earth because we're followers of Jesus or while we are serving Jesus... It will be well worth the cost. It, it seems to me as I read John chapter 9 that the former blind beggar at first kind of seemed tired of telling the story. He kept having to tell neighbors over and over again, it's me. He told the Pharisees when they asked again, he refused to tell them again. But I'm thinking that after he met Jesus, he never got tired of telling the story of where Jesus saw him. And Jesus healed him, anointed his eyes with that mud and holy saliva. Then he went and washed in the pool of Siloam, and he was able to see again. And then Jesus found him. Not only changed his eyes, but changed his life. Never grow tired of telling the story of the difference that Christ has made when you became a believer in the Lord Jesus, or when you go through a difficult time or let people know how Jesus walked with you and how you know, even if you didn't see everything that God did, that you knew that He was at work. And if you don't know Christ today, He wants to give you a story to tell. He wants you to be able to see Him and to be able to know Him as Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be in your house and worship you. We thank you that you hold all the answers. We pray today as we've come to this place that you're here and there may be some particular burden, some particular suffering, something that we're going through personally. We pray, Father, for each person here and each person listening. That whatever that is, Father, we pray that perhaps our attitude has changed or it has become more and more like Christ or Christ-like today. And that we know that you can use it to chisel away the parts that aren't like Jesus. Put us on the parts that look more like Him. Use what we're going through, Father, to be able to point others to the one who is the light of the world. If there's one here who does not know you as Lord and Savior today, Father, or one who's listening today, may today be the day that Jesus has called upon for salvation. Thank you for your presence here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.